Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Really excited that everyone who uh, showed up this morning, maybe, uh, maybe it's your first time here and we are extremely excited for you to be here and to hear uh, the message this morning and be able to worship with us. Um, if you've been here since the beginning of Dwell and uh, then we're also equally excited that you are here. And so um, today, I, I know Daniel just read the uh, few verses that are kind of the highlight, but uh, we are actually covering about three chapters today. So buckle in. We're going for a w- ride here. Um, we should be done by 3 p.m., no problem. So um, no, but we're kind of picking up in almost like if you've ever read a book, where do you typically start when you read a book? Hopefully, you're not one of those people that jump to the end, right, because you just want to find out what ends, but you're somebody that looks, um, starts at the beginning of the book, right? You don't typically start in the middle, and uh, if, if we just take what we're reading today, um, we'd be kind of starting in the middle. So I want to give um, a brief summary um, of the entire Old Testament. No, uh, just like we want to get some, uh, <laughs> uh, so we actually will be done next week, so buckle in. Comfortable seats, everybody. We got popcorn and coats up in the concessions. Uh, um, no, but I want to give at least some background information, some background, some history of what has brought God's people to this point um, in the story that we're about to read. And so I'm going to try to do my best to get through it rather quickly. I'm going to summarize a lot of things. So if you are a biblical scholar and you see me skip over some things, um, that is because of time and we need to get to what is important, right? Um, I am not a biblical scholar. I'm not a historian. Um, I do really enjoy history. Um, I learned I do not love history. Um, And how I learned that was in college. My advisor was like, you should minor in history. You have uh, almost all history credits, and uh, you just need to take a couple upper-level classes. And I was like, sure, why not minor in something? And um, I went in there in the first day, and and the teacher's like, we will have a book. You will have to complete a book reading and have a research paper due every two weeks. And I said, no, thank you. And so that's when I learned that I did not love history, but I do enjoy uh, reading history and learning about different things. So um, all that to say, let's set it up where we're, we're going to go. So right now, if you've been with us over the past few, week, few weeks, we've been in Hosea. We've really talked on what the Israelites, what God's people have done and where they are. They've kind of been through this cycle of continually disobeying God and then returning to God and, and disobeying God. And, and that's kind of what's been happening. As we wrap up the book of Hosea, it's kind of come to this tipping point and kind of come to really the end of this, of God allowing this to happen. But, I, but there's some things that we're going to cover, especially in chapter 12, um, that I think is really important to understand what happens before then. So um, I just want to give like I said, a brief, we're going to try to get through this quickly, uh, history, summarizing some things about what led up to it. So uh, you have God's people, you have these Israelites, and they originally came, if you go all the way back in Genesis, um, from a man named Jacob. Jacob is kind of the patriarch of these. Now, Jacob's an interesting character because, um, and, and we'll get more into him later as we go, but he essentially um, was, he was referred to as a heel grabber. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been called a heel grabber before, but that's a pretty big insult back in the day, all right? Um, so if anybody tries to lie to you or cheat you, you just call him a heel, heel grabber, and you got him, right? You're going to really play him. So uh, the reason he was called that is because he was, they referred to him as grasping at his brother's heel, um, saying that he wanted to come out before his brother because at the time, 
um, his older brother would have gotten the birthright um, from his, his father. And that means basically being the, 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 the child who kind of takes over the family when the father's gone. He gets more inheritance. And so Jacob uh, deceived his brother um, and ended up getting that birthright. And really kind of a lot of dispute had happened between him and Esau, his brother. But um, we're going to skip past that for now. He has a son, Joseph. Joseph, he has 12 sons, actually. Joseph is his favorite son. You may have heard this story. Um, Joseph is the youngest of 12 brothers. He's his favorite son. His, because he's his favorite son, all his brothers sell him into slavery. Um, he goes into slavery in Egypt. Um, he ends up winning favor because he trusts in the Lord, and the Lord brings him up and wins favor with Pharaoh. A um, couple hundred years later, uh, eventually Egypt puts all of the Israelites into slavery. They, Joseph had won favor. The Israelites came to live with Egypt. The Israelites grew. They multiplied, and um, Egypt ended up enslaving them. So these are, Israelites are God's people, of course, and they are now enslaved. Uh, so in doing this, Pharaoh orders all the male children to be uh, killed. Uh, one child survives. Not all of them are killed. One child survives. His name is Moses. Um, who is ordained by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, so I know we're getting into a lot of stuff here. We're trying to break it down. He leaves people. He now leads. He is tasked to lead Israelite out of the grasp of slavery um, from the uh, Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians are obviously very powerful. The Israelites were slaves, right? So this is a, a huge thing in and of itself. Um, God uses Moses. He takes him out of Egypt. He does some crazy miracles. Uh, before he does this, when he first speaks to Moses, he, he does it through a burning bush, which is just wild. I've never seen a bush come on fire, and God be talking to me from that. Um, when, when Moses leads them out, when they are running from the Egyptians, God splits the Red Sea. Maybe you've heard this story where God splits the sea. The Israelites are able to escape. When the Egyptians try to follow them, the sea comes back down and uh, kills all the Egyptians or, or all the ones that are chasing them. So you have all these crazy, powerful things that, that God is doing through uh, first Joseph uh, bringing the, the, the Israelites to Egypt, Egypt then putting them in slavery, uh, now Moses leading them out. Um, and now, after God, now listen, guys, I have met, I've seen like a river hit a rock and kind of split a little bit. I've never walked up to an ocean or to a massive sea and see the water completely go side to side. But I would think if I saw that, I would not lose trust in the, in the God who just did that, um, though I might would. And, and that's what happened to the Israelites. They, they go through this. They see these wonderful miracles, and then they uh, are, are promised to go to the promised land. And in doing so, they go look at the promised land, and they get scared because it's these uh, soldiers and these encampments, these strongholds, and they don't think they can't, they don't trust God that they can do this. So there's this continual lack of faith. So they go into the wilderness. God sends them to the wilderness for 40 years. You may have heard this. They live in the desert, basically, with barely getting by off of grain and, and living in the heat and the sun. And, and instead of going to this promised land that God had promised them. Um, so they did it for 40 years. In this process, Moses, who was leading them, dies. And Moses, kind of right-hand man, Joshua takes over. And Joshua leads until they conquer uh, the, the land of Canaan, which is like considered this promised land for them. Um, they conquer all these strong points. And, um, and this is when the story kind of starts hitting this recurring theme. The, the, the people of God, the Israelites, his people, even though he's done these 
kind of majestic things, these wonderful things for them, they continually start lacking faith. They start worshiping idols, and then they come back to God, and they worship idols, and they come back to God. Eventually, they get to a point where they just beg God to give them a king because they want to be like the neighboring nations. They don't have a king. They just have these prophets who are leading them, who are speaking for God. And God, and then they beg God uh, for a king. Give us a king, God, that will protect us, that will make us a, a, a powerful city. And, and in that in itself showed a lack of faith in, in God who was already leading them. So God gives them a king, and it really goes downhill from there. They had a handful of good kings. You probably, you might can remember the story of, of uh, like King David, King Saul, um, King Solomon. You have these kings that did some pretty crazy good things and some pretty crazy bad things. Uh, and it's, it, it kind of went downhill as it went. Uh, in the time of Hosea, there's now a king who is uh, really considered one of the worst kings for them. And it has just continually went downhill. And these kings have started... And the people have started accepting these idols, and specifically, uh, as, as Josh has talked about in Hosea, idols that worship this particular false god named Baal. And so that really is what brings us here to uh, where we are in Hosea. You have all this background. You have all this kind of recurring disobedience from the Israelites, but also returning to God and God blessing them and, and allowing them to conquer different uh, nations and, and holding uh, making a strong and secure nation. So the last few kings, when, when David was king, he, he gave them like a strong, he made them a powerful nation. He started taking over. When Solomon was king, he made them a rich nation. So where the Israelites are today, they are uh, considered very wealthy. They're considered very, uh, like from a worldly standard, they're doing really well. They're strong, they're rich, they're comfortable, they're satisfied. And these are the this is at the point when they reach this level, they no longer need, they no longer feel the need for God. And that's when they start turning to these idols and start worshiping these other, other um, uh, false gods. So, now let's get into chapter 12. Now we have three more chapters to get through. That was the whole Old Testament. So, I mean, I, I went pretty quick. So, we'll be done in like two minutes, actually. So, um, so anyways, I want to go back to, we're going to start in chapter 12. Now, sadly, I cannot read every verse of these three chapters, because uh, we would be here for a while. It's a lot to take in. There's a lot going on in these three chapters. We're going to try to hit the highlights. We're going to try to focus on uh, what is most important, and I think that little bit of background, hopefully I, you understood it to the at least a little bit, um, will kind of help you understand the importance of what's happening in these chapters. Um, so in chapter 12, um, let me go ahead and get all my stuff up here ready. In chapter 12, Hosea starts by kind of going back to uh, Jacob, the patriarch, which we originally started with. Jacob was uh, the beginning of these people. We see that he really started his life off as in betrayal. He was jealous from the beginning. He wanted to be, uh, he wanted to have the, the birthright from his father. He wanted to take it from his brother. It's a story where he basically, his brother comes in and is exhausted from the day. This is how wild it is. His brother comes in really tired from the day, from the fields, and is so hungry. And Jacob has like stew. He has like a pot of stew, right? And his brother's like, please, like, give me some stew. You know, have you ever had like a stew that's just so good or like some 
jambalaya or something. I don't know. You can just make up whatever that bowl of warm food is. And he just really wants some food. And, and Jacob uh, tricks him into saying, I'll give you a bowl of stew, but you must give me the, your entire birthright, uh, which is a big, uh, a big trade-off. And then uh, he tricks him. Uh, he takes his birthright. So he's known for uh, obviously being deceitful, uh, for being dishonest. We have a lot of slides today that we're going to go through that it's going to be a lot of points, and, and I won't talk a lot about each point, but it's more just for you to kind of visualize and keep track of what we're talking about. Um, but Jacob is, is dishonest and to, to gain what he has, and then once he gains that, he becomes kind of comfortable um, and satisfied, contempt. He, he reaches this point where he has kind of uh, a big family, he has servants, he has a lot of possessions, and he's kind of at war with his brother. But but something they talk about is he struggles with God, or he wrestled with God. Um, so they're making this comparison because all these Israelites, they would know of their forefather Jacob and what happened. And the reason they're making it is because of how it turned out for Jacob. Um, in his strength, he struggled with God, it says. Um, there's a story where basically Jacob was moving his entire family. He was kind of running. He was kind of scared of his brother at the time. So he sends all, this is wild. I don't know how many of you guys have like really read the Old Testament. There's some wild stories you're going to hear. And this is one of them that's like, what? Like, I didn't know this happened. Um, and so he sends his, his family, he sends his wife, his kids over this river. He sends his servants to take all his possessions. So like, I want you to picture this. Jacob's now standing on this side of the river by himself. And this man like jumps out and attacks him. But this man is, it says, a man of God, and so it's also referred to as an angel. So essentially an angel attacks Jacob and wrestles with Jacob. And it's this picture that Jacob is wrestling with God. And not wrestling with God like, God, why are you doing this? But like, here we go on all fours. We're about to Judah wrestle, you know, with God and, and with this angel. And so he's wrestling with God. And, and Jacob is like prevailing. He's, he's not like giving up. And so the angel, it says, it says in the verse, it says he touches him and it wrenches his hip socket to, in pain. Like this wild stuff of like happening, like this vivid uh, thing of them wrestling. And it says that Jacob prevailed. Um, it said that he prevailed and, and he, he begs this angel, this, this man of God to, to bless him. He prevailed. It says he wept and he sought favor from him, from God. Uh, and it's important to see that he prevailed because Jacob has a turn of heart when this happens. He knows that he just came face to face essentially with God. He came in contact with God and he lived through it, that God allowed him to live. And so it brings Jacob to this point of weeping and seeking favor. And he, and he tries to seek God's favor to bless him. And, and it kind of is a changing point for Jacob when he comes back, he seeks forgiveness and God gives that to him. The reason that this is being brought up from Hosea is because this is what he's begging the people of Israel to do. He's saying, be like your, your forefather, your, your patriarch Jacob. He messed up. He, he lived this deceitful life that you guys are doing, but he came back and he sought favor from God. And, um, and then you look at where Israel is at today. He, he starts talking kind of through where Israel is, what they've done. Um, and, and they are like this rich nation now. But they got their wealth and they're rich by, by cheating and lying and stealing. Um, you can read through chapter 12 and see the verses where they talk about how, um, how they achieved this wealth. Um, and one of the verses says, with all my wealth, they will not find any inequity in me. See, right now, the, the God's people, they're at this point of, of security. They're at this point, they feel like they have everything together. 
Every other nation probably looks at them going, man, they got it going on. They're rich. They're wealthy. They live in big homes. They have plenty of food to eat. Their bellies are always full. And they're like, you can't find any sin in me. You can't find anything wrong with me because look at how wealthy I am. If I wasn't this wealthy, then God surely would have, uh, wouldn't have ordained it. And we reach a breaking point, um, a point to where God's anger is essentially, um, his wrath is released. And so as we go, in, in, in ending chapter 12, he, God kind of brings, and Hosea brings this point back of, was it God not the one who taught you how to walk? Was God not the one who sent Moses, who sent a prophet to lead you out of Egypt that did these great miracles and visions um, and, and parables that he did through, through these prophets? Is this kind of like a reminder of like, this is where you sit, and look how far you've fallen to what you are. You were once a nation that was, was uh, to be feared. In chapter 13, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. So like when, when, it's another word for like when Israel, when this, when this group of people, when God's people spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through bow and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen, it is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. So right now, to give you a background of um, really what these worshipers of Baal did is they were at the point where they um, killed human sacrifices. They, 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 allowed, they, they sacrificed humans, and mostly these were children back in the day. They, so they were essentially sacrificing children to a golden statue that represented, a golden calf that represented um, this false god. So you look at where the people had come from. They were God's people. God had cared for them, brought them out, led them to a point of satisfaction, and they have completely 180 to the other side. They are now literally worshiping the false god that is everything that God, our God, the true God, is against. He's killing human, uh, allowing human sacrifice. The, 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 the creator who created us in his own image, they are now sacrificing. They are kissing the calf, which means uh, it's, it was a sign of ultimate submission to this uh, God and begging this God to do th things and lead them to, to places. So, number one, it is justified. God's anger and wrath was justified because essentially his people had become enemies of God. They had let their sins separate them so much where they are now um, at the point of being an enemy of God. And number two, it is terrifying. It's terrifying the wrath and anger of God. By choosing to worship Baal and turn to God, God can no longer have compassion on them. But instead, they invoke the full wrath of God. And it's portrayed like this in verse 7. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard, I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper." Now, I, 
I have not lived a great life uh, when it comes spiritually. I, I always can fall and make mistakes. I luckily have not heard God uh, bring this conversation to me. Um, if God, if the Creator said these uh, words to me, this would be the ultimate terrifying uh, sentence, right? Um, I've seen videos of, of bears trying to chase things that are after their cubs. I've seen lions take out uh, some, some animals, and it is not a pretty sight. Uh, and, and, and this is the, the portrayal that God is using. Like, this is his anger. Like, he's just putting it into words that they understand, like, this death is about to come upon them. This wrath is about to hit them. We see that God's people have found a place of wealth, of comfort, but, but they're truly lacking in the spirituality and the morality uh, um, in their nation, in their society. And so this leads to, like, a continuation of sin, which leads to a spiritual and, and in this case, a physical death. Number three, it is without compassion. Um, in this time, there's a neighboring nation called the Assyrians. Like I said, we're doing a lot of history here, so follow with me. There's a, a neighboring nation called the Assyrians, and they were just like literally known through all the history books, not just through the Bible, of like this nation of this true brutality. They were known if they were to go to war with someone, they would not only conquer and defeat their so, the enemy soldiers, they would then go into the nation and kill everyone, women, children, kids. Anyone that was a part of the nation, they were known for just being brutal and, and without mercy. And so, as we start to wrap up chapter 13, um, God is about to refer to them and allow them to destroy them. But in the midst of all this, of all chapter 13, God throws this verse in there. He says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? And he says, compassion is hidden from my eyes. You might remember this verse a little bit. It's kind of uh, done differently in translation-wise. But Paul refers to this in the first Corinthians. This is a reference to Jesus. So in the midst of all this wrath and anger that he's portraying, he also throws this one quick reference of, there will be a time that I will ransom them from death. I will ransom them from this uh, hold of sin, but he ends right now and he says, compassion is hidden from my eyes. Another translation says, but I have no compassion. For these people in that day, it was too late. Their sin had brought its consequences and God's promise of destruction would come. They had really chosen their side. They have become enemies of God. But this hope of Jesus that he mentions is really what chapter 14 uh, portrays and really what it is a vision of for the future. But as he finishes chapter 13, he talks about how he will essentially allow these Assyrians to come in um, and wipe them out. He says, you will die by the sword. Plagues will happen. Food won't grow. Um, it's really this this horrible picture that these people are about to go through that have chosen their fate. But thank the Lord, it does not end there. Uh, we do have chapter 14. Um, and chapter 14 is really just a, a future of hope. It's a, a portrayal of what is to come through Jesus, what we can uh, expect in a life with Christ. And so there's two truths you really uh, can gather from up until chapter 14. 
And number one is a life of continual sin and rejection of God will lead to an internal death. It will lead to God's wrath. We see here that over these hundreds and thousands of years, the Israelites had continued to kind of do this cycle of worshiping idols, disobeying God, coming back and begging God for forgiveness, disobeying God, begging God for forgiveness, disobeying God, up until the point where God, they had went too far. God said, this is enough is enough. You have completely become enemies of me and allowed them to really just uh, receive the wrath that they had built up for themselves. And so it's something that we should, we should remember as well is when we see, when we live our lives today, a life of continual sin, if we continually sin and are okay with that and we continually reject God, there really is no other answer besides it leads to that internal death. But number two, there is hope for healing and forgiveness because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we have the opportunity to repent and to come back to Christ. So a need for repentance. I want us to see that in this light of what we know, in light of what we know, we are going to read uh, kind of this differently uh, than Hosea's time. Uh, Hosea is talking about really kind of like he's using this, uh, this picture of this land that they're kind of familiar with um, that was really like prosperous. There was great uh, vegetation like trees, and it was just a very prosperous land, and that's Lebanon. But we're going to kind of talk about it a little bit more of like what it means to us. How can we like see this for it in our own lives? Um, so Hosea starts in chapter 14 um, with the ask of repentance. You know, you've come to this point of he's, he's basically said, look, this is where you are. You're in the life of sin. If you continue down this path, this is what it leads to. This is the destruction that will come from it. But if you repent, you have a different future. So number one, because of Jesus, we have the opportunity to repent. We must first see that without God sending Jesus to make a way for us, there isn't even an option of repentance. Without, without Christ, we are coming, you know, luckily we are here after Hosea's peak time. We're not in that time. We're at the time where Jesus has come. He has died. He has made that bridge to repent, to be able to come back into God's graces and to live life with him. So without Jesus, there is no opportunity to repent. But because of Jesus, we do have that opportunity to repent. And so Hosea is saying, he's basically given them in the chapter, the beginning of chapter 14, he's given them a really a step-by-step of saying, this is how you should repent. Verbally say these things to God that you ask for forgiveness for the exact sins that you're doing. Um, We see here that that sin is really what separates God's people from him. They started kind of small, right? They kind of did some, some greedy things by starting to be dishonest, try to gain wealth, and that led to them sacrificing humans, to worshiping and kissing uh, false gods and calves, uh, idols. And so God hates sin, and sin is what separates us from him. So when we sin, we, we allow that separation to become between us and God. Um, is it not similar, like, kind of in our own lives, right? Like, have you ever been, have you ever, like, said, all right, I'm going on a diet, right? Everyone, I would say a lot of us have at least tried a diet before. Maybe not to lose weight. Maybe it's to gain weight. Maybe it's to be healthier. Maybe it's to take something out, sugar out of your diet or gluten or whatever it is. 
And I'm going to say, if you have ever went on a diet, you've probably broken a diet. You've probably cheated on a diet. Like, I know me, like, I've tried to take soda out or, and, and uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm kind of really feeling a soda. I've been good for a week or two or a month. Like, Dr. Pepper is calling my name. Like, and, and even more so than that, if you do ever break that diet, let's say you've been going for a month straight, you haven't had any soda, and you love soda, because I love soda, and I break, and I, I crack open a Dr. Pepper, how much easier is it the next day if I want a Dr. Pepper to just be like, well, I already broke it yesterday. I'm just going to kind of like, you know, I'll just do it one more time, and then I'm going to get back on track, right? It's, it's sometimes too... It's sometimes easier to continually, like, once you do it once, it's like, ah, you know, I can just do it again real quick, and then I'll, then I'll get back on track. And that's kind of like how it is with sin, right? Like, I know in my personal life, like, there may be something I'm trying to take out, a temptation or something that I know that I fall to, and I may do really well for a week or two weeks or a month or, or whatever it is, and then as soon as I fall, it's so much easier to just say, well, I, I've already messed up now. I guess I, I, I just... And it's, and it's like a, a domino effect. I keep messing up. And the more things you allow into your life, the more things that you start living with that you're okay with, when you're okay with sin, when you live a life where you're okay if you mess up, it's like, it's fine. You're opening the door to more and more sin to come into your life. And when we try to do this on our own, it's It's fruitless. When you try to defeat sin on your own, when you try to make yourself better and you just say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to like, take things control in my own hands, we just don't have the power to defeat sin. So number two, without Jesus, we cannot defeat sin. When we try to do it on our own, we're nothing but wayward people just wandering through life. Spiritually, just trying to do things on our own. But there's an incredible verse, incredible verse that in, in verse 4 in chapter 14 that, that, that Hosea reads. Once we've come to this point where we see our sin for what it is and we hate our sin, when we learn to hate our sin, we crave forgiveness and healing. When we come to this point where we realize sin is what separates us from God, and so if we want to live a life that is with God, then we should hate our sin. And in verse 4, it says, I will heal their apostasy, or another translation says their way- waywardness. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. We see here two really great promises from God. He will hear, heal our waywardness, and he will love us freely. The, number one, there is forgiveness. When I first re- read this, I literally just like looked at the verse and said, I will love them freely, and I was just so excited. I was like, man, that, that line is so incredible. God has went from this point where he had no compassion. He had to allow himself to fully express his wrath to these people who had become enemies of him, and now he's at the point where he's like, I get to love my people freely and withhold all my anger and withhold all my restraints and love them freely. But there's something really important um, about right before that when he says, I will heal their waywardness. I will heal their apostasy. 
You see, when God loves us, He forgives us. But we need more than just forgiveness. We need more than just saying, than God just welcoming us back and just saying, you are forgiving. But God does so much more when He heals us. It's easy to miss at this point that like God will uh, heal our, our waywardness. But when we lose our way from God, when we go to the point where we have completely rejected God or we are sinning against God, we have separated ourselves. When that sin comes in between me and God, we lose our way. We, we forget how to walk with God. We don't understand how now we need to live with God. And so what God does is he teaches us how to walk again. It's like you being in something horrific and losing, losing your, your, your way of legs. You're losing your strength in your legs and you forget how to walk and you're having to do rehab until you're having to rehab. We ain't going to try that word again. We're not even going to go there. You, we, you have to rehab your, your, your way to walk. You have to do therapy and learn how to walk again so that you can jog again, so that you can run again. What God is saying when he says he will heal your way with this, he's saying, you don't understand how to live anymore. You don't understand how to walk with me. But God is faithful to heal you. And the forgiveness is so important, but the healing is what we need. Once, we, once God is so faithful that not only does he forgive us, but he heals us in the process. And it's not something that happens overnight. You know, if, if you have to learn how to completely walk again, you're, if you have a child and, and they start to learn how to crawl right, they don't like come out of the womb like jumping, dancing, like what's up, you know? They, they have to crawl, they have to walk, and eventually they learn how to run. And, and, and It's the same way when we come back to God. God is teaching us. It's a process to heal us, to learn how to walk with him. You know, how cr- crazy is it to hear that even that we deserve the anger that's in chapter 13, but we receive the blessing and the healing and the forgiveness that's in chapter 14. You know, it, it's insane that though we've sinned against God and though we are, have, sin makes us an enemy of God, that God sent his son Jesus to come and make a bridge for you to become back and become friends of God, to become children of God. He would not only forgive you, he would heal you. He would teach you how to live and, and love him. There is a hope for a future that is better. You see, if you continue, if we allow sin to dwell in our lives and we continue that, that future of a, of a bear ripping open something that's in between her and her cubs, a lion lurking and devouring something, that is the future without God. And God is saying, even though you deserve this future, I am willing to give everything. I'm giving myself, Jesus, to come to provide a future for you that is better. I want to read... Uh, a kind of a longer section of the, of the verses, and we're, we're wrapping up here, but um, in chapter 14, starting with verse 4, it says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like the Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. 
I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. It's a beautiful picture of what God's people should look like. When we're living lives of love and justice, how God designed us to be, to be in community of him, our fruit is seen from others. When they see us loving one another and caring for our neighbors, this is what this picture is. He's saying, when you come to know me, when you come into my family, you will prosper spiritually and people will notice. They will notice something different to you because our fruit comes from God. Our source of life is coming from God. So when things happen that are bad in our life, that are bad in our nation, we are fueled by what God is providing, not from what our materialistic things are. You know, it's really great that next week we get to celebrate Easter. We get to celebrate the resurrection, which is really the most important uh, part of our Christian faith. It's, the, it's the, the celebration of what God had to go through, the mourning of that, and then the celebration that he was able to defeat death, to take our shame and take our sin. And as I wrap up, you know, I ask, like, what does this mean to you? Like, is there something in our lives that we need forgiveness for? Is there something that we still need to be healed for? Maybe you're still figuring this out, and this is your first time kind of hearing this story, or first time in church, and you don't really know where you are in this point. And maybe you feel something pulling on you, and, and I would just ask you to explore it. Like, explore what would this mean if it, was if it was in your life. If God cared for you, if God loved for you, and God wanted you to, to walk with him, what does that mean for you? Chapter 14 ends with this. It says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.